Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today is a new year and a new day and a new decade. And what I want to talk to you about today is how important it is for us as we start this new year to look behind us, to look ahead of us, but to make sure that we embrace right now, that we embrace the moment that we're in, because it's really important that we learn to live in the moment. You know, I've learned uh, that the older I'm getting... And I see this with people that are even older than me. It seems like the older that you get, the more you learn the importance of living in the moment. The more you learn that, hey, I'm watching people around me, they're kind of moving on, right, into eternity. And I'm faced with the reality of the fact that life's coming to an end at some point. I need to be sure that today is lived well. I need to be sure that I am getting everything out of this moment with God that God has created it for. And I've noticed over the years, as I said, that older people really have a better corner on this. Um, a woman named Jean Kelman, she was the oldest living human being when this was wrote. She, she passed away. But uh, her age could be verified at 120 years old. And on her 120th birthday, she was asked to describe her vision for the future. Her answer was, very brief. <laughs> Another woman was asked the benefits of living to the age of 102. After a pause and thinking about it for a minute, she answered, no peer pressure. No peers, right? Finally, uh, John Fetterman, a pastor at Grace Episcopal Church in Madison, Wisconsin, told of an elderly woman who died in his church. And having never been married... She requested no male pallbearers. In her instructions for her memorial service, she wrote, They wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> Perspective. See, as we come into this new year, we have an opportunity to look behind us and to remember and to learn from the past. And that's the purpose of the past. Look back there. Remember and learn, right? That's where we gain wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from. And then we can look ahead and we can put our hope in God for our future. See, right this moment in all of our lives, 2020 is pregnant with possibilities. It's pregnant with possibilities. This could be the most transforming year of your life. However, if you look back too much or you look forward too much, it can also, those two things, the past and the future, can become a pair of thieves in your life that rob you of right now. Today, I want to encourage you to embrace right now. This moment is a gift from God. Do you understand that? This moment right here, right now, is a gift from God. You see, some of you are thinking about lunch. Some of you are thinking about work tomorrow. Or tonight. Some of you are thinking about the Seahawks. Stop it. That's at 140. 
Okay, you're thinking about things that have you in the future. Some of you are thinking about the fight you had on the way here this morning. You're thinking about the conflict you had with your spouse. That kid that's driving you crazy and you wanted to clock on the way here. And you had to ask God to forgive you. Right? You're thinking about things in your past that are plaguing you. Maybe a regret that you have. And I found in my own life that if I spend too much time focusing on either the past or the future, I miss what's going on right now. Like right now in this moment, something beautiful could be happening. People could be encountering God. There are people I know right here in this room today that are so stuck in the past or so stuck in the future that they can't even see the wonders of God all around them. On New Year's Eve, I was hanging out with a guy and he was sharing some of his life with me. And as we were talking, I I began to speak to him about this very thing. In fact, it prompted me to do this message. I began to speak to him about the reality of being in this moment and how dangerous it is to hang out too much in the past or too much in the future. Because when we do that, not only do we miss this moment, but we have a tendency to make really bad decisions in the present. So I want to share with you today about not being a slave to or not letting the past and the future rip you off from the present you have with God. Because the present is a present, right? Family Circle, little cartoon years ago, said that the present, I know why God calls it the present because it's a present from Him, right? And right now is a present from God. So the first thing I want to do, though, is I want to show the value of looking behind and looking forward, just not living there. So first of all, we have to look behind. When we come through a year, when we come through a week, when we come through a moment that's impacted us, we have to look back. And the scripture tells us that in looking behind us, we remember and we learn. We're to remember the days of the past. Deuteronomy 32.7 says this. Look at it in the New Living Translation. It says, remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. And you know, this is really a sad thing that we've lost in our culture. We've lost asking the forefathers and mothers, the elders, about what God did in the past. We've lost that. I don't know what it is, but I find many times in the younger generation, there's such a desire to establish their own identity and doing it their own way and have their own vision and have it be kind of fresh and new. And there's so much pressure culturally for it to be new and edgy and and cutting edge, right? There's so much of that pressure that often what happens is they reject the wisdom and the input of older generations, thinking, ah, they're just stuck in the past, they're just stuck in the old ways. And they don't realize that the truth of the matter is a lot of the stuff that they think is so new and cutting edge and so cool has probably been done. And maybe even others have made mistakes at it and could help them, right? Wise is the man who learns from his own mistakes. Wiser still is the man who learns from someone else's. We have our opportunity to to ask those questions. But I also find in the older generation many times there's an attitude towards the younger generation You'll see memes on social media and you'll hear people, you know, rah, 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 the younger generation, they don't work hard, they don't have a good work ethic, blah, 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 blah. Right, there's constant complaining, generational conflict, the battle of the ages, right? And the truth is, God's desire for us is that we partner and that the strength and the energy and the life of the youth 
of the younger generation links with the experience and the wisdom that is gained from living longer. And you put those two things together and you have a beautiful dynamic and it's the way God created it to be. We're to ask, we're to inquire, to inquire of the past. We're also to remember God's deeds. Psalm 77, 10 through 12 says this. And I said, and I want you to notice, this person is struggling with God being against them. They believe somehow the negative circumstances of their life is that God is against them. God's angry with them. And they, they begin to complain. And he says, and I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then verse 11 says this, but then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So it's almost like this person was going to accuse God of being against them, of being their enemy in some way, shape, or form. And then they remember the goodness of God. And there's some of you, you're sitting here today, and you have somehow convinced yourself in your mind that God's after you. God's just got something out for you. He's just going to take, he's mad at you, he's going to take you down. And what I want to say to you, especially if you've known the Lord and walked with Him for a while, is take your eyes off of that and begin to look back and recount the faithfulness of God in your life. Remember where you came from. Remember the liberation, the healing, the love, all that God has poured on you, the provision. Remember the goodness of God. Recount the wonderful deeds. Also, we are to remember the days of old and what he's done. Look at Psalm 143, 3 through 6. He says, oh, and this is an interesting one. Some of you might feel like your enemy has got your back against the wall. Now, you, you figure out what your enemy is. We know there are spiritual enemies. We know Christians go through spiritual warfare. There are demonic things. There are, there are enemies of the mind, our thinking. There are enemies even in the natural world of things uh, uh, against us. Even people can be, as it were, enemies. That's why Jesus said to love your enemies. But you have things that are kind of out against you and you feel like it's too much for you and you're overwhelmed by it. I want you to notice what the psalmist says. He says, my enemy has chased me. He's knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Now, if you stopped right there, it would be really easy to look at that text and be kind of hopeless, wouldn't it? To look at it and say, wow, nothing for me. It's over. But look at what he says. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and I think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer and I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. So the answer is to look to God. Remember what he's done. Seek his face as you remember what he's done in the past. Amen. Secondly, we're to look ahead. We're to hope in God for our future. You know, if you, if you love wisdom, if you love gaining wisdom from the past, you'll have hope for the future. Look at Proverbs 24, 14. The writer says, in the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future. And your hopes will not be cut short. Or when we hope in God, we can count on the fact that some point in the future, we'll praise Him again. Look at Psalm 42, 11. Why am I discouraged? 
Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. You see, here's, here's something we need to know. If our hope is in God and not just in our circumstances, you know, some people call hope, that what they call hope is really just wishing. I wish my circumstances were better. I wish my marriage was better. I wish my job was better. And they call that hope. And then when it falls apart and it doesn't happen the way they were wishing it would, they say God let them down. But the truth is, if they were putting their hope in God and not in their circumstances, they would watch God work. Because hope in God will ultimately lead to the ability to praise Him again. Because He's faithful. We can have hope because Jesus never changes. You ever really spend time thinking about that? We live in a time of unprecedented change. Think about it. Right now, because of the speed of information, because of how quickly trends change, I'm going to tell you one of the things that told me I'm getting older is I realize I can't keep up. I don't just mean physically. I can't keep up with what's cool, with what's trendy, with what's right. I I can't keep up with what's going on on social media, what's happening in music and movies and the arts and what you might call popular culture. I find myself going, wow. I mean, I want to be aware. I I, want to be cool. I've given up. I just realize it's not possible anymore because change, because of the internet, because we live in the age of social media, because change is every second, every moment, every hour of every day, 365 days a year, and this year, 366, because there's a leap year. It's going all the time. That's change. It's constant. And you can't keep up. But Jesus doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about that. But if we're not careful, we can get stuck. We can get stuck between two thieves. Jesus was crucified on a cross between two thieves. And we can get stuck there if we don't embrace him right now. So many of us are bound to either our past life or our future life. This kind of what I call time machine living paralyzes us and keeps us from experiencing Jesus, experiencing Jesus as the I am God who is present and active right this moment in our lives and up to something right here and now where we are sitting. You know, in the first service, I was aware of something. I was aware that we were having a moment, that the message was a moment people in the first service, they said it at the end, people made shifts. They made changes. They made decisions. They said, man, God's talking to me right now. I hear his voice in this message, and I know this is speaking to me. And they made decisions to let go of some things in the past and also to let go of some things in the future. And I hope you recognize that this is a moment. This is a moment where God can do something that can change your life from this time forward. Henry Nouwen is an author that I greatly respect. And in, his, uh, in an article called Here and Now, Living in the Spirit, actually in Christianity Today, he wrote this. He says, the real enemies 
of our life are the oughts and the ifs. They pull us backward into the unalterable past and forward into the unpredictable future. But real life takes place in the here and the now. God is the God of the present. God is always in the moment, be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. And so this is where I transition and I want to talk to you about two thieves and what it means to embrace Jesus and embrace right now. In Matthew 27, 38, it says that then two thieves were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it says this, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what's so powerful about that text? We see the past, we see the future, and we see today. And Jesus brings perspective when the past and the future is talking to us. He brings perspective. There's the thief of the past. We deserve to die for our crimes. How many of you know, if you understand the Christian gospel, which means good news, you understand that we deserve to die for our crimes? And some of you in this room might be saying, well, I've never committed any crimes that are worthy of death. I haven't murdered anybody. Or, Well, let, let, let me just back you up here. The Scripture makes it really clear that God's commandments and laws must be kept perfectly if we're going to be righteous with God. And when we don't keep them perfectly every day of our life, we are guilty not just of the commandment that we break, but of all of them. That's what the Scripture teaches. If you've violated the, one of the commandments, you violated them all. Right? And they're all kind of linked together, right? So if we violate you know, even something as simple as coveting, we don't realize. A lot of us don't realize we covet all the time. You watch TV and those car ads come on, right? And you're looking at your car. And you're like, I need a new car. And then you turn the TV on and some sexy babe or some studly dude is standing there, and man, their life is together, and their car is cool. It's a $1,000 a month payment, but, right? And, and it's saying, this is what you need, and, and this is what the culture tells you. You deserve it. You are entitled to it. And if you don't have it, you ain't cool. That guy down the street, he has it. Don't you wish you were like him? And so we, we began to covet, and the Scripture says covetousness is idolatry. What does that mean? Covetousness is idol worship. So we began to recognize that even wanting what we can't have, and, you know, and then, and, or, you know, here's another one. You look at your spouse, they don't look like they used to. You look at that other person, they're kind of a babe, kind of a stud muffin, and you're like, man... I wouldn't mind some of that. Come on. I'm talking to you. 
Don't be lying. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You get into the comparison game, right? You're not happy. And the scripture says when we violate that, we violate the whole of the law. And we're guilty and worthy of condemnation and separation and damnation. We're guilty. We're criminal. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. And that's the gospel. The one who hasn't done anything wrong hung there on a Roman cross and was guilty for your crimes. He took your guilt. He took your shame. He took your death. That's the good news. But a lot of us, what happens is we, we look at our past, the, the things we did in the past, those crimes that we've committed, and we get accused and haunted by them, even after we've come to faith in Christ. We know we've been forgiven, and we either live with two kinds of pasts that draw us. We either live with the regretful past or the romantic past. The regretful past is the past of regret, shame, Maybe abuse, we were abused or we abused others. Maybe tragedy or death or we committed a crime and did the time. We, we have a debt, we're maybe depressed, we battle with depression a lot in the past and we're afraid of it. Bad relationships, we're one of those people that just seems to go from bad relationship to bad relationship and we have all kinds of regret and the next thing you know we're moving right into another one. Or maybe we've been through a failed marriage and it beats us up and beats us up. We have blown it. We've fallen on our face. Maybe it's been a moral failure, whatever. And we come to this point in our life where we just constantly, we try to move forward and that voice is talking to us and it's lassoing our ankle and it's pulling us and it's saying, remember what you did. You're a loser. You're a bum. You'll never be anything else. This is your identity. You can't escape. It's who you are. Just accept it. And then there's the romantic past. I don't just mean relationship romance. I mean the sentimental part of us, the good old days, the traditions of the past, the the good relationships we once had, that past romantic relationship, that great job, that boss, that previous place you lived, your last church. I joked in the first service, I said sometimes people will show up here and they'll just be all about everything that their last church was like and they did and how much they loved it and we need to be like that. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, that's never happening. Never. That was when you were there with different people, different leaders, in a different town, in a different culture, fitting that place. It don't fit here. You can't take that template and put it here. If you try to, it would ruin it. This is unique what God is doing here. I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying it's unique. And so you embrace where you are. You embrace the place and the people, and you live with what God gave you, not with what you wished or hoped it would be. And it's true in all relationships. And so we, we live in a romantic past that isn't even real. I'm going to tell you something. If you live in a romantic past, what you think was so wonderful, if you go back to it right now, first and foremost, what will happen is you'll be shocked to find that it ain't what it used to be. Thank God. It's moved on, and so have you. And you don't fit anymore. It's never what you thought it would be. This is why people jump on the internet and get on social media and go to Facebook and they look up old boyfriends and girlfriends. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
That's a joke. If, if you listen, if you're doing that because you're unhappy where you are and you think you're going to revive or rekindle something from the past, stop it right now. It'll take you down and ruin your life. It's a joke. There ain't nothing back there for you. God has something for you right now. Right in this place. Right in this time in your life. Many of us live in the past bound by previous mistakes or living with an unrealistic memory of how great it was and we're unable to live effectively today and our past is ripping us off. Stealing from us. And then there's the thief of the future. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sometime up the road when everything's great, when the world is made new and better, remember me. And we have two different kinds of futures that plague us. There's the fearful future. You have a fear of failure, a fear of destitution, a fear that your retirement ain't going to be enough for you. Maybe it won't be. Then you might have to trust God. A fear of collapse, a fear of divorce. Maybe you have an end times view from the Bible. You've been told your whole life how bad it's going to be, how terrible it's going to be. Somebody has kind of given you a view of the end times and you look at the world and all you see scares the heck out of you. And you find yourself just like, I don't want to live in this world. Come on, Jesus, let the rapture happen. right? And you live that way and so you're missing what God is doing in the moment. These fears for the future rob you and rip you off. And then there's the fantasy future. You know, you live in fantasy relationships. One day, I'm going to meet the perfect person. They're going to be my soulmate. And what we mean by that is they're going to conform to everything we want them to conform to. And then the reality happens. We meet them and there's the spark. And we're like, gosh, we, we stayed up and we stayed up and talk all night and it's so wonderful. And then you go through premarital counseling and Raul and I are telling you, you need to get real about some stuff and you, you can't even hear us. You're just like, no, we love each other. We're not going to have any problems. We've never had a fight or a disagreement. And I'm like, oh God, help them. <laughs> and then they get married and a few months into it, He's not the guy I thought he was. She's not the girl I hoped she was. Welcome to marriage. Welcome to life. Your fantasies are getting popped and blown, and it's awesome. It needs to happen. That's how your selfishness dies. God gave you that spouse to kill you and then raise you back up. Praise the Lord. It's true. See, fear and fantasy will either paralyze you or lead you to make impulsive decisions. If you can't stand right now and you're always, like, it's better over there. I'm looking over the, the, the fence and it's greener grass over there. And as somebody once said, you just need to water your grass or it's because that's over a septic tank. Right? Right? That's why the grass is greener. (laughs) See, you're always looking out there, right? And, And you live out there so much that right in front of you, God is answering prayers, bringing relationships, connecting you, giving you opportunities, but it's not the opportunity that I'm claiming. Maybe that's because God has something better for you and you can't see it because it's wrapped 
in an ugly package. It, it looks like a field full of stones and weeds, but it's actually got a treasure chest in it, and you just got to go dig it out and find it and sell all and, and get it. And see, that's the reality of our lives right there. We get so trapped by these fears and these fantasies. And, you know, here's the truth. We, we're a prophetic church. We believe in prophetic things. But here's the reality. The future is unknown to you. And it's unknown to me. And every once in a while, God takes the big picture of the future, all these things, and he gives you a quick boop. It's a flash. It's like a frame. And then you just like, I saw a flash of the future. I'm building my whole life around the flash. And you're missing thousands of other frames. And now when that little flash doesn't happen the way you want it to, God gets accused. Or people. You find something to blame. But the reality is, is that God created you for right now. He wants you to trust Him with your fears, give Him your fantasies, and let Him craft your future. Because the beautiful thing about God's future for you is it's full of surprises. You'll never get it all figured out. You still with me? See, Jesus is the Savior of right now. I assure you, he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. I love how Jesus takes the emphasis off the past, your past sins, dealing with that right now on the cross. And he takes it off of your future, my kingdom, what's going to go on in heaven or afterward or something great he's going to do in your life. He takes all of it and he brings it into perspective and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He wants you to learn from and appreciate and allow him to redeem your past, but he doesn't want you to live in it. So many of us are missing out on this moment because we can't let go of yesterday. Jesus can redeem our regretful past and help us see our romantic past realistically. I'm telling you, for some of you right now, that romantic past, you need to really take it to the cross and let it die. Jesus alone redeems the past and gives us beauty. He can take all of our wreckage from our past and he gathers it like raw material, and out of that, he rebuilds a life that glorifies him. And he can also expose the lies of the romantic past and help you see it realistically. But you have to let him. And then he wants us to plan for our future. Absolutely. He wants us to ultimately, though, trust him with its outcome. Years ago, I was reading an author, Dallas Willard, and he said something that really impacted me, and that is we must abandon all outcomes to God. Because sometimes we get so fixated on what it should be. And when it's not that, when we come to that point and it doesn't happen the way that we were fixated on it becoming, we become so disappointed and disillusioned. It wrecks us and it ruins us. And it's because we didn't trust God with the outcome. We determined, we tried to fit it and force it into our mold. We're not created to do that. That's God's territory. Am I talking to anybody? Because I've learned something. Things never go exactly as planned. Let me tell you what. I used to have plans. I did. I had a booklet full of goals. I had my six month, my one year, my five year, my ten year. I'd do that kind of stuff all the time. Constantly. As a young man, I was so full of ambition. I was going to conquer the world, make a lot of money, and be a preacher. Not on being a preacher. I wasn't going to make the money on being a preacher. I was going to do it with other stuff. 
But that was my, I had all these dreams and these goals and this vision and all these plans. And I set about to fulfill and accomplish my plans. And the Lord opened a door. We moved to Moses Lake, Washington. And I just knew we were going to have the glorious, biggest, greatest church and a TV ministry and all kinds of stuff. And none of it happened. God did something different, something beautiful, something I couldn't see. He's doing something in you like that, too. You see... Your fantasy future cannot compare to his real and true future. If you live in this moment with him and let him direct your future, you're going to find surprises along the way. What do you have now? I love Proverbs 16.9 and Matthew 6.34, and this is where I end. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Matthew 6.34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Isn't that great language? Jesus is, there's a play on words there. He's messing with us. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's he saying? You don't live in tomorrow. What are you doing being anxious about tomorrow? You don't even live there. If you're anxious about tomorrow, tomorrow and all of its anxieties are ripping off your right now. They're stealing from you. That thief's robbing from you. God wants to free us. And I really believe that there are people in here today, you're, you're sitting there right now and you're like, man, that's me. That's me. And you're ready to say, I'm done with living in my past or my future. I'm gonna find God in my present. I'm gonna meet Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever in my right now. God wants to meet you. He wants this to be a new day for you. Amen? How many of you feel like maybe I'm talking to you? Amen. Will you stand with me?